Well, we want to celebrate God's Word together today. If you take your Bibles today, turn to Exodus chapter 3 in the Old Testament. We're going to look at another amazing woman in our series called the Surprise Series. Uh, we've really looked at four women, including today, today's message, the life of a woman named Zipporah. And a very small mention in Scripture, but huge, huge impact on Moses and the children of Israel. And so Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse, four, uh, beginning in verse 1 the title of the message today is a long title, Inaction, Intervention, and Not Taking God Seriously. You know, before I get into the message, let me just say that we have a very exciting weekend coming up in just a few weeks. If you look in your worship guide, you'll see something called Go Weekend. And that Go Weekend is for all of us in this room, for all of us in our church, and really for others coming in from other parts of the United States as well. Go Weekend is June 9 and 10 uh, in 2018 here, just a few weeks away. That's the weekend that the Southern Baptist Convention takes place later in the week, but early in the week. Many pastors, many uh, church leaders from across America come to Dallas. That's where it is this year, Dallas-Fort Worth area. And um, so we have some big events related to that. Every year we have something called crossover. That's where we mobilize people, and we expect to mobilize some 20,000 pastors and wives and other church leaders to come to the convention. But we mobilize them in crossover, as many as are able to come, and we go into the communities and we share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to be doing that on Saturday, uh, the 9th of June at 9 a.m. in the morning. We want to invite every single one of you. I can't wait for that event. And I want all of you to be there because for the first couple of hours, 9 to 11, we'll have some great time of equipping and training. We'll have a wonderful time knowing how to have or brushing up on our ability to have gospel conversations with people in our community. And then at 11 o'clock, we'll get a quick bite to eat and then go out. And we'll be sharing in teams throughout neighborhoods uh, in this area. And as we have conversations with people looking for open doors for the Spirit of God to open that heart and open that door so we can talk to them about Jesus Christ and the answer to, to sin's problem, and everyone needs to hear that, that answer. And so we want to encourage you to be there. And then we come back about 2 o'clock in the afternoon give a report. We're inviting people as well to go to the Harvest Crusade, which is taking place the very next night in AT&T Stadium. Many of you know that we are within sight of AT&T Stadium and we're one of nine locations that are doing this crossover event. So I want you to kind of clear your calendar. Saturday morning, June 9th, uh, you can actually register for that so we'll know how to prepare for the crowd that's coming uh, on, the, uh, inter on the internet, on our website, firstyearless.com slash go. And uh, we want you to be there. It's gonna be an exciting time. Sunday morning, the 10th, on that Sunday morning, David Platt will be in both of our services at 8.30 and 11 uh, a.m. David is one of the most in-demand speakers across uh, America and really across the world. And I want you to be able to hear him here at our church. So that's a big weekend, 9th and the 10th. Clear it out. Make sure you're available for that. And uh, don't go out of town that weekend. That'll be the wrong weekend to go out of town. Stay in town that weekend. Help us to make an impact on people all around us. Okay, let's take our Bibles. Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Please stand with me as we read God's Word. For the next few moments, we'll be looking at the life of Moses, the call of God on his life, and the impact of a woman named Zipporah, who is his wife. So we're going to look at a little bit of an overview of Moses' call, beginning in chapter 3 of Exodus, verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. 
And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. Then the Lord saw that he turned aside to see. God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. So here's God speaking to this man named Moses, who's in the wilderness after having left Egypt where he was raised. And God's putting a call on his life. Look at verse 10. Behold, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So that's the call. All right, now just turn over to chapter four, verse 24, three verses that, that pick up a very interesting moment in Moses' life. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Now that's a change, isn't it? From calling him out of the burning bush to seeking to put him to death. Then Zipporah, that's his wife, took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone, and it was then that she said, a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. I know some of you are looking at me and you're saying, why did you choose this text on Mother's Day? <laughs> and I hope I can answer that adequately in the next few moments. But there's an incredible intervention because of the inaction of the husband that allowed God to spare this man's life and allow the mission of God to move forward. It's huge. Father, in Jesus' name, I ask that you speak to us in a powerful way from your word. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. amen. Please be seated if you would. It's amazing to me how few of us take God seriously. What's even more stunning is how a man like Moses could do that, not take God seriously. All you have to do is look around at our culture today and you find people who are supposedly Bible-believing Christians who ignore the large portion of the revelation of God's Word and don't take God seriously on so much of what God has said plainly. It's one thing to hesitate when you don't know exactly what God's will is. It's another thing altogether to hesitate when you know precisely what God has said. And Moses is one of those in the latter category. God spoke to him out of the bush of burning fire. Without consuming the bush, the miracle that took place, and Moses was not taking God seriously. Now that's even more exaggerated by the fact that chapter 5 and following in the book of Exodus is a picture of a nation that does not take God seriously, Egypt. And eventually when Moses carried out the mission of God to speak to Pharaoh and say, let my people go, Pharaoh did not take God seriously. Ten plagues were pronounced against Pharaoh. Now, each time one was pronounced, Pharaoh said, all right, I'll let you go, and then began to back off and say, I'm not going to let you go. And over and over through those ten plagues, it became more and more serious and more and more obvious that God was not going to let this thing go with Pharaoh. And eventually, Pharaoh did not take God seriously, and it led to his death. And surprisingly, before it ever came to Pharaoh, Moses was faced with the same problem of inaction, needing an intervention, and not taking God seriously. If I can impress on anything of you today, any one statement, any one sentence that I would want you to walk away with, fear God, take him seriously, and obey him. Fear God, take him seriously, obey him. Because God is God. God is not our chummy friend. God is not our buddy. 
The Ten Commandments are not ten recommendations or suggestions. Everything God says in the Word of God is so incredibly important to us because it's God that speaks those words, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament. It's important that we understand that we should take God seriously. Now, let's just look at the story as it unfolds. First of all, we're going to focus on Moses, and then we're going to focus on Zipporah, his wife, because the Scripture does that. Number one, I want you to notice in Moses' life the problem of inaction. Moses has been called by God in a supernatural way. Everybody knows about the burning bush. You learned about the burning bush when you are a little child. And you learned that God speaks in unmistakable ways that are very, very clear. And so God speaks in that way to Moses. And yet the Bible says in just one chapter from that moment that God is now seeking to put him to death. Verse 24 of chapter 4, at a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. So apparently a time has passed from the call, and it's now obvious to God and to us as we read the Scripture that Moses is not taking the call of God seriously. I call Moses the reluctant leader. He has heard what he's supposed to do, but he's reluctant to do it. When you look at this passage, you'll see that God is seeking to kill Moses, and it must have been, as best we can tell, an illness that God allowed Moses to have. But when God in the Scripture says he's going to do away with someone, usually it's pretty precise, pretty quick, you know, like the earth opening up and swallowing whole groups of people. Or a flood, which comes, like we looked at last week in the life of Noah. And the whole nation or the whole world perishes except for Noah and his family and the animals in the ark. When God declares death upon someone, usually it's very precise, very quick. Uh, there's no mistake about it. You're gonna, you'll be gone if God makes that declaration. But here we have God in some way allowing this to progress slowly. So we surmise it must have been an illness. And now Moses understands that, that there's going to be a bad outcome to this. And so does Zipporah. And the reason this is unfolding is because he's a reluctant leader. Moses doesn't want to do what God says do. If you walk with me through chapter 3 and just a few verses, you'll see this in his responses to what God has called him to do. For example, in chapter 3 and verse 11, the Bible says, But Moses said to God, Who am I, that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So God speaks audibly and loudly and clearly to Moses, and Moses is saying, Who am I? I mean, who am I to do that? I can't do that. And then verse 13, the Bible says, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God, I'm going to argue with you just a little bit for just a moment. What if the people don't agree with me? What if they don't like what I say? What am I going to do then? And if you look in chapter 4, verse 1, the Bible says, Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. So here is a man who is destined to be a great leader, who has a great call on his life, arguing with God. Verse 10, if you go on down to verse 10 of chapter 4, But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the path or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. And then finally in verse 13, his reluctance uh, shows us seeing this out of his mouth. But he said, O my Lord, please send someone else. Delayed. Reluctant obedience is disobedience. That's what's happening in this man's life. Now, maybe one of the reasons that Moses is saying, I don't want to go, is because Moses knows Egypt well. 
He knows Egypt well. Moses, if you remember, the story of Moses was born during a time when Pharaoh ruled very harshly over Israel, who were in captive, in bondage. Maybe you remember the stories where the children of Israel were making bricks for the building projects of Egypt and Pharaoh. And his mother feared for his life because of the decree of Pharaoh to put all newborn male babies to death. And so she put him in a basket and floated him down the river. And the, uh, the daughter of Pharaoh found him, took him in, raised him. So for about 40 years, Moses knows Egypt well. He knows the power of Egypt. He knows the military might of Egypt. He knows the tenacity of the leadership of Pharaoh. He understands this is the big call God puts on his life. He understands the impossibility of one man coming and facing Pharaoh and the entire Egyptian nation, and he is worried about it. He's looking at the problem, and he's not looking at the solution. Like many of us, he thinks God's plan will not work. He is faith faithless. Faithless. Now, if you and I are in his shoes, quite frankly, we're probably thinking the same thing. God, are you big enough to do this? Because after all, I'm one man and not a very good one at that. And how in the world are you going to cause Egypt to bend the knee? How are you going to let them make us let people go? It's bad for Moses. But I want to tell you that as I read the life of Moses, I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged that God uses imperfect people like Moses and like me and like you. That God uses mistake-prone people, obstinate people, reluctant people, complaining people. Somehow God uses us all. I, I don't know how God uses anybody, but I'm especially surprised that he uses me. And that's how we ought to have that kind of a mindset, that kind of an attitude. That God would use anybody, but especially that he would use us. So God is going to use Moses in some way. He, he's, he's going to let him waste away slowly until intervention takes place. There's no way that God doesn't know how this is going to end, but the truth is God has a plan through Moses' wife that's going to stop everything in its tracks. And God doesn't just leave Moses there. He humbles him and makes him prepared for real leadership. Let me just say this to you. At some point later on, Moses writes this statement. The man Moses were more, was more humble than any man on the face of the earth. And Moses actually wrote that. So you'd pretty much have to be humble if you're going to write that <laughs> yourself, right? Think about that for a moment. Somehow God brought him to the place of, of having a better idea than God had, wanting to argue with the Almighty God, to a place of being so humble that God could use him in setting his people free. God takes us all through a process to bring us to humility. And we should never stop until God's through. Brian Cox on our staff, who was up here a few moments ago, tells a very interesting story about this passage, this text, where he was at a place when he was in seminary called by God and following that call, but at a point of depression, the point of wanting to give up, a point of uh, just thinking there was no use in going forward. And many of us have been in that place, and he was in that place one day. He was encouraged to come to a chapel service that he didn't want to come to. By his own description, uh, he didn't have any real reason to go. He didn't want to go. He didn't usually go. But on that particular day, he ended up going to the chapel service, and the story of Moses and Zipporah was the story that was preached from the pulpit that day. And it actually grabbed his attention 
and reminded him, he says in this email that he wrote about it, he said, it reminded me that delayed obedience is disobedience. Reluctant obedience is real disobedience. And that's a real point that, that's being made in this text as well. I'm glad Brian got to the other side of that because he's with us today and he's walking with the Lord. I'm thankful for that. But what happens if we don't recognize how offensive disobedience is to God? Moses is a reluctant leader. Secondly, I want you to notice that Moses is a disobedient father. A disobedient father. So in the home, good things are not happening when it comes to passing on the faith. Part of passing on the faith to a child of God is passing on the faith by means of circumcision to your children, to your males. In fact, if you go back to Genesis chapter 17, this idea of circumcision was one that God gave Abraham and all who would be called the children of God, beginning in verse 10 of Genesis 17, this is what God says. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. And the indication of that was not only was it a sign of the covenant between a man and God and a family and God, but also upon marriage it would be evidence that a woman was marrying a true child of God had been circumcised as a sign of covenant. And so it was an important thing for a father to make sure that his male sons were circumcised in order to pass on the faith to the next generation. And it's clear in this text that at least one of his sons was not circumcised for whatever reason. Now we can take a lot of time to speculate about the reasons and the traveling of Moses and all the things that were placed upon his life, but the fact is he is not circumcised, so Moses therefore is not passing the faith on. He is not being distinct and clear and obedient. And God says, before you go and call Egypt to bend the knee, you need to bend the knee. Before you call someone else to repent, you need to repent. You need to make things right in your own household. And Moses has yet to do that. So God is calling him home. And by that, I don't mean his house. You know, God has the ability that reserves the right to call his children home at any point. Go into the New Testament, you'll find that 1 John writes about the fact that there's a sin leading into death. There are times when God sees fit to call his children home. Now, now say that's harsh and say that's difficult, but we don't just live for ourselves, we live for him and it's important that we remember that. Moses is nearing death at this moment and so something's going to have to happen and that's when we get to this, this other character in the story whose name is Zipporah and the power of intervention. Look in verse 25. Then Zipporah, after what we've just said, then Zipporah took a flat and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. Now, we'll get into this in just a second, but let me just make this statement. There's much talk today all around us, social media and our world today in general, about misogyny, about which is basically fear and hatred and mistreatment of women. But God makes it very clear. Ladies, listen to me today, and men, listen to me today. God makes it very clear. He values, he calls, he empowers, he gives huge kingdom assignments to women from the very beginning. If you go back in the Old Testament and walk with us through where we've been over the last few weeks, you'll see stories 
of these amazing women like Abigail who intervened between Nabal and David with great insight and wisdom. Rahab, who was a harlot on the walls of Jericho being used by God to allow Israel to have victory there and she was preserved and placed later in the line of Jesus. You see Deborah, who intervened to lead her nation to victory military-wise. You read about Esther, who said that, who knows that God has placed me here for such a time as this. And God gave them words to say, actions to take, and he used them to bring about change to the kingdom. So how is God going to use this woman, Zipporah? Well, there are two things that stand out to me in the life of Zipporah in this very, very brief text that is absent from the life of Moses and therefore necessary for her to take a stand on. Number one, Zipporah's fear of God made her value obedience. Fear of God. This is a woman who feared the Lord. And it made her value obedience to God. Now, don't read it this way. It didn't just make her bold. It made her value obedience. Whatever God calls us to do, he calls us to do in certain ways, certain manners. And we do it his way, not ours, because we fear God. And by fear, I mean we respect God. We have an awe of God. We have a reverence for God. It's not the mindset that if I don't do right, God may zap me. That's not accurate to what we say when we say the fear of God. It simply means we recognize who he is and we recognize who we are. And we recognize the incredible distance between humans and God. And we say, you are God. I'm a human. I'm privileged to know you. I will do what you say. The fear of God causes us to value obedience. She knew it wasn't going to go well with Moses and she knew the command and the covenant of God. She understood why Moses was about to die and he didn't seem to understand that well. And she knew that his relationship with God and in life in general was in danger because of disobedience. The fear of God. Let me pause for a moment and talk about the fear of God. You cannot read your Bible without seeing the frequent use of the phrase fear of God, the fear of God, the fear of God. And I've selected just a few verses to talk about today because these verses will remind you that wherever you read in your Bible, you'll see this for a very important reason. It, it characterizes the life of a true believer who is closely following Jesus, closely following God. They have a healthy awe, reverence, respect of God. In Psalm chapter 33, verse 18, Help me out here on the familiar line. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on who? Those who what? Fear him. Say it one more time. Those who fear him. On those whose hope is in his steadfast love. Or Psalm 37 or 34 verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around them who what? Fear him and delivers him. Jump over to Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10. As we begin, you know the phrase. Here it is. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Or Proverbs 31, which we read a moment ago, or spoke a moment ago, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who what? Who fears the Lord, she is to be praised. That's pretty important. If the fear of the Lord brings God's eyes on us all the time, watching us with attentiveness, with care, concern, if the, if the angel of the Lord encamps around those that fear him, if the fear of the Lord brings wisdom and insight, if the fear of the Lord brings the praise of men because we do right 
with God, it's pretty important. And the fear of God is what Moses didn't have and what Zipporah did have at that particular moment, and she valued obedience. Here's what happens when we have the fear of God. When we have the fear of God, it causes us to be concerned when no one else is concerned. It causes us to be concerned when nobody else seems to notice what's going on. We have a sense of something happening because God has impressed upon us that. It helps us see boundaries that we're unwilling to cross that others seem to be crossing. When I tell the story of my life as a young teenager, I, I knew I was in many, many positions of compromise. Now, there were times that were unexplainable to me that I simply would not cross over certain lines that my friends readily crossed over, and I couldn't ever explain why I wouldn't go there, why I wouldn't do that. I was certainly in sin deep enough. It's not like I wasn't in sin, but I wouldn't go any further than I was because there was some invisible line I simply wouldn't cross. Later on, God revealed to me that it was simply the fear of God that kept me from going over the edge. So today, I'm grateful for the fear of God thankful for the fear of God because I couldn't explain why I wouldn't take those steps, but now I know the fear of God kept me in the place where God could still use me, and I'm thankful for that. The fear of God in your life alerts you to danger zones and behavior and thoughts and words, and when you speak something you shouldn't have spoken, the fear of God will allow you to know that. Let me give you a hint. If you say what you want to say whenever you want to say it and never feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit or the fear of God, you are far from the fear of God and far from being full of the Spirit. The fear of God allows us to know God's heart about moments in our lives, and it stops us because our conscience is crying out, and we can't take another step in the wrong direction. That's what's happening with Zipporah right here. She says, Moses, we have to do something here. And she does. I, I tell you, I've, I've been around a lot of strong women in my life, and I'm thankful for that. And by strong, I don't mean Russian weightlifter strong. I mean strong in spirit, strong in the word, strong in the fear of God, strong. My wife is um, petite and strong at the same time. And I'll get in trouble for saying this, but it's true. Dynamite does come in small packages, she reminds me. <laughs> I remember one of our sons was flirting with the goth lifestyle years and years ago. Maybe you don't know what that is today, but back in the day, back in the 90s sometime, uh, it became fashionable and cool and to a certain group of people, um, a way of connecting with other groups of people that were just kind of rebellious, you know, wore black. And they were always cutting themselves. They were doing different things like that. They were just uh, a little bit weird to our life and our lifestyle. And one of our sons began moving in that direction. We were concerned about him, but, but it was creeping on us. You know, all of a sudden, it was just kind of more and more black and more and more uh, rebellious and so forth. One, of my, one day, my wife, when I came home from, uh, from work, my wife said, well, we took care of the uh, goth thing. I said, how do we take care of the goth thing? She said, I took every article of his black and his clothing uh, dresser or his clothes. I took every article of black and threw it out. He literally has no more black to wear. I said, you really did that? She said, I did. It's gone. It's gone. He will never again dress like a goth again. And he didn't. He didn't. I mean, he's in his 30s now. He's never done it again since. But what she sensed was a moment and a time where we just couldn't let that keep creeping, and she had to take a stand and draw a line, and she did that for the health of our child. That's what a strong woman can do, and many other things, but that's one of the things a strong woman can do, sensing the mood and sensing the hour take a step 
of boldness. Zipporah's fear of God made her value obedience, but her concern for her husband overrode her aversion. You say, aversion to what? The aversion to circumcising her own son. No one can really want to do this, right? So I won't go into much detail here, and you'll be thanking me for that, but she actually took a plant stone and she circumcised her son. I'm going to read a paragraph about this because it's, it's a really interesting paragraph. In regard to the phrase bridegroom or relative of blood, many opinions here uh, in, the, in the commentaries and in what those say about this passage, but whatever exactly the circumstances were, these circumstances were important to God. It was important that Moses' son was circumcised. Circumcised was performed on the male infant at eight days. As a sign of the covenant, it identified men as Israelite for the sake of their women. It ensured that the married couple were both Israelites and there was no forbidden intermarriage taking place because God says to his people, I want you to marry someone who is a child of God. Zipporah had learned and embraced the idea that the God she knew was the God of the Israelites. Her marriage to Moses linked her to the Israelite people and their covenantal relationship with Yahweh. Normal circumstances, their children would have been circumcised. However, since Moses didn't have this done for one of their sons, and since he was about to lead as God's prophetic messenger to Egypt, including the death of all firstborns of Egypt, she stepped in and God honored it. Think of it. Moses was about to call Egypt to repentance and the Pharaoh to repentance, and eventually the last plague will involve the firstborn of all of Egypt being put to death by the angel of death who would pass over the houses of those that did not have the blood on the doorpost and they would die. And Zipporah saw, Moses, our own household is not where it needs to be. And so she circumcised her son and according to the scripture threw that at his feet. She took action to save her husband and to secure her house. Let me say a word about leadership here because this woman is taking an enormous step of leadership at an incredibly important moment in Moses' life. Here's the quote. Leadership is not a matter of position or conversation. It's a matter of action. It's clear, decisive, spiritual, God-honoring action. Make note of that. It doesn't matter what your position is. It doesn't matter whether anyone recognizes your authority or your role but leadership is stepping up when you must step up. Things don't change when we talk or complain or hope or even pray. They change when we act. Wise action is the greatest form of leadership. And when done in love, inaction is the worst thing we can do. Action is the best thing we can do. And when all is said and done in Zipporah's life, and you begin to look at the leader Moses became later on in life, you'll see the incredible role all this played on his life as well as hers. God relented. Moses lived. He was humbled. He stepped up in leadership, went and called Pharaoh to let the people of God out of Egypt. That's exactly what happened. He led them across the Red Sea. He led them into the wilderness, all the way to the brink of going into the promised land. All that after Zipporah's intervention. Wow. If you understand the pre- Zipporah Moses and the post Zipporah Moses, you understand the huge thing that this woman was able to accomplish in this man's life. 
There's a movie I watched years ago. I don't even know if it's a good movie for you to watch or not. I don't remember many of the details, but I do remember one line in it. The title of the movie was As Good As It Gets. It's never an endorsement. I don't endorse movies anyway. But the famous line was spoken from an old man to a woman he loved. And he said this to her. He says, you make me want to be a better man. That stands out. It stands out to me because of spiritual reasons. It stands out to me because the women I've been blessed to have in my life, like my wife and my mother, make me want to be a better man. Because of women in leadership that I know in our church and other places in the kingdom, make me want to be a better man. Make me want to lead better. Make me want to listen better. Make me want to obey better. That's just what God can do through the life of a yielded individual, and in this case, the life of a yielded woman. Zipporah was used by God to make Moses a better leader, a better father, a better man. You see that? Women lead well. Women intervene at right times. Women demonstrate the fear of God and the incredible concern and love for those in your family. Women override aversion to certain things in order to do the right thing when the right thing needs to be done and it's not being done otherwise. Women, you have amazing influence. I'm thankful for that, grateful for that, but that was by the design of God that you have that. It's incredibly important. Ultimately, through all of us today, Christ alone can make us better men and better women. And he does that by making us new men and new women. Ultimately, his human aversion to suffering and death on the cross was overcome by his love and his concern for our souls. He valued obedience to the point of death on the cross. And he's our example. He's the one we look to all the time. Today, instead of inaction, intervention, and not taking God seriously, we need to say something different. Action. And taking God seriously brings incredible change. I want you to bow your head, close your eyes for just a few moments. I want to ask you to think what areas of your life are are you disobeying God in? What areas of your life are you demonstrating delayed obedience or reluctant obedience? What areas of your life are you not taking God seriously? And today I want you to say to God, Lord, I'm going to take you seriously. I want to look at the life of Moses and Zipporah and learn. And say, God, I will obey you. I will follow you. I will take you seriously. In just a few moments, we'll have an opportunity for you to come and visit with anyone that you would like to visit with at the front. I'm going to ask our counselors to come right now. I'm going to ask you as the congregation to stand. And as you stand and as these come to the front, they'll face you. They'll be prepared to pray with you. It only takes about three or four minutes for you to walk up at the end of a service and say, you know, today God just impressed me that I need to obey him in this area or that. It may be about your family. It may be about your individual life. It may be about the fact that you just need to change. And let me just say, it won't be a woman that makes you change or a man that makes you change. It'll be Christ that ultimately makes you change. He's the only one that's capable of that. He's God. Come to him today. Give your life to him today. As I pray, when I conclude, then we invite you to make that decision. Father, in Jesus' name, I want to thank you today for the amazing example of this woman, Zipporah, and others that we've looked at and how they've influenced those all around them. Today, I ask you 
that we also look at Moses' life and understand delayed obedience is never good. So Father, speak to us by the power of your Spirit today. Allow us to respond to you well. And Father, today we want to have a fear of you that's healthy, a fear of you that allows us to value obedience just like Zipporah. God, today, if there's one person in this room that has never come to you, that allows you to change them from the inside out, speak to them right here, right now. Allow them not to leave this place without dedicating their lives to you through Jesus. Thank you, Father. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.